Well, good morning. We're going to spend some time this morning looking at some scriptures in the Gospel of John, chapter 9. So if you want to find your place there as we get ready to start. The Gospel of John, uh, chapter 9. And so what I want to do this morning is to share with you the secret of abiding in your struggle, your pain, and your hardship. I'm not going to share with you the the secret to avoiding these things, and I'm not going to share with you the secret of how to overcome these things. I'm going to share the secret of how to abide in these things and have those things be a blessing for you. And basically, it is knowing two things. You've got to know the purpose for your struggles, your pain, and your hardship, and you've got to know your mission in life. Know those two things, and you're going to be able to abide in your struggle, your pain, and your hardship. So before we get to John, I want to set some context. I'm going to set a scriptural context and then a personal story context to try to understand this. So um, we started the service singing a song which mentioned this verse in Romans 8, 28. I, I think the book of Romans, first of all, is, is just a grand book of theology. There's just so much meat in it. But I think this verse, for me, stands out among all of those verses. And uh, it, it's like the sharp top of, of mountain ranges of Scripture for me. Right, I can see it from afar off, and I always look to it for hope, and then when I'm up there, I'm just glad I can see what I can see. And so this gives me perspective. And we know, well, what do we know? We know that all things uh, work together uh, for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Now, what's interesting, if you read Romans 8 uh, and put it in its context, Put verse 28 in its context, there's a whole bunch of verses before it, and there's a whole bunch of verses after it, and Paul is talking about his own struggle, his own pain, and his own hardship to be able to say that all these things are working for the good. So uh, there are some words that we wouldn't associate with wanting all things to work to the good. And as I say these words from the very verses in Romans 8, I touch my ear. I want you to say in response, all things, all right? So in verse verse 18, he says, suffering. Verse uh, 20, he says, frustration. In verse 21, he says, bondage. He also says, decay. In verse 22, he says, groanings. He also says, pains. In verse 26, he says, weakness. All things, all things. He goes on after that between verses 35 and 37, and he, he says, trouble. He says, hardship. He says, um, famine. He says nakedness. He's peril. 
the sword is all things, all things. Does he really mean all things? He does, doesn't he? So let me give you now my story as a context. I grew up, uh, as uh, Pastor Rick mentioned, uh, with a difficult childhood, to say the least. And I've written a book about it called uh, Worst of Mothers, uh, Best of Moms. And the titles of my chapters uh, have one word. And as I read to you the title of these chapters and touch my ear, what are you going to say? Rejected. Abused. Neglected. Abandoned. Bullied. Sexually exploited. You weren't so certain on that last one. Are all things all things? All things. So now, if that's true, if this is a an eternal truth, then we should see stories that play this out all through the Bible. And, uh, and I would challenge you, when you start looking and reading the scriptures and you're following the life of a particular character, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, the characters who were alive when Jesus was there, or maybe those who came uh, after, and you read those stories, read them through the context of Romans 8, 28. And then you begin to see that that indeed God makes all things, but they're often things that we don't want to claim as all things. And we've got to be able to see them as blessings, not just difficulties and hardships and pain. Give an example. Remember uh, Isaac? He wrestles with the angel. He said, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. And what does the angel do? Touches him in the hip. And he's forever lame on this hip. From that point on, he walks with a limp in pain as an answer to a prayer to be blessed. That was God's answer. And that limp, that new disability that he had was painful, a hardship, uh, a struggle perhaps, but it was all things working to the good, not only for Isaac, but for his people. Because what it did to the life of Isaac and changed his character, and then what it would mean in terms of testimony for God's people. So we should see now all of these characters in that light. So now we're going to follow the life of one individual here in John chapter 9, and the entire chapter is designated to telling the story of a man born blind. Now, we won't take the time to read the whole chapter, so your homework will be go, to go home and, and, and read the rest of this chapter and see uh, just how this plays out. But we're just going to cover the first a few verses. And so uh, we read, now as Jesus passed by, now I'm not sure where he was going. It's not really clear where he was going. He was passing by. But we do know where his ultimate destiny was, his destination. 
It was the cross. So on his way, ultimately to the cross, he passes uh, someone and says he, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And of course, his, uh, Jesus' disciples are journeying with him, so they also pass him by. And there must have been something about the blind man that drew everybody's attention to him, right? That uh, perhaps he's trying to see his way, perhaps he's begging. Probably no, no doubt he's begging for daily food to survive because he can't work. And so his disciples asked a question. Seems a, a, a rather rude question. But they ask him, they say, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Now, I don't think they were trying to be rude. They're in the role of student, and he's in the role of teacher, and they're following him, and everything becomes an object lesson for Jesus to teach his disciples. And so the disciples, right, are... They've been listening to this man teach and preach. They've been watching his miracles. They've been watching and, and seeing how the religious leaders who they grew up uh, respecting and honoring and how they're responding to Jesus, and they're trying to figure out this man's theology. What makes him different from what they've learned in their own traditional faith? And so this just seemed like a good opportunity. Uh, teacher. Who sinned here that he was, uh, that this man would be born blind? Was it, was it him or was it his parents? Now, normally I think we humans have about three different levels of, of seeing difficult things like this. And I love the Bible because it, it doesn't shy away from difficult things or hard questions. But normally, we start out kind of children, and when, when we're experiencing pain or hardship, we just want to know what's wrong. That's about the level that we can deal with this. What's wrong? And, and even we might grow up and become adults, and, and, and we're suffering, we've got difficulties, some kind of pain, emotional pain, physical pain, um, uh, right, all kinds of things. And so we go to the experts. And, and we tell them what's wrong, because we want to know what's wrong. And they'll take your symptoms, and, and they'll diagnose them. They maybe give you some medicine, maybe some physical therapy, uh, all kinds of things, because this thing is wrong. And it shouldn't be wrong. It should be fixed. That's the level we can deal with it. But hopefully as we grow and mature, we go a little bit deeper into the questions and we start asking ourselves, what's the cause of this pain? Right? We, we can analyze, we can think critically a little bit better as adults. And, um, and so we start saying, what's, what's causing this? Because if I figure out what's causing this pain, hardship, struggle, and we could fix it. Because it's wrong to feel wrong. It's bad to feel bad. That's what we think, right? There's another level, a deeper level, that I think we as Christians 
uh, who strive to be mature in our faith and spiritual, there's one more level of this. And it's not to ask what's wrong or even to ask what the cause is. It is to say, what is the purpose in this pain? What is the purpose in this hardship? What is the purpose in this struggle? Because what I want you to understand this morning is that God is not a responder to human causes. He is a planner for divine purposes. And no matter what your mess or pain may be, the cause of that mess or pain are not decisive in explaining them. Now, certainly there are causes to the things that hurt us. We can sometimes find an exclamation and then find a remedy for these things. But I believe in all of my heart that God is not a responder to human causes, but a planner to divine purposes. And so the cause, in the end, is not decisive in explaining them. In God's kingdom, it's about purpose, not cause. I'll share with you a quote from John Piper. I got to go forward a little bit. None of the mess or pain makes any sense. None of it is helpful if God himself and the glory of his work is not your greatest treasure. Being loved by God and being with him forever is better than seeing. Now, can you imagine what this... This blind man could very well be overhearing this conversation. He, he could have heard the question from the disciples. And so he's going to listen to the answer to this man named Jesus. And, <laughs> and he's been thinking this his whole life. What's wrong? What was the cause of this? And what he's going to find out, right, in verse 3, Jesus says, it's neither this man nor his parents that sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was this blind man, and I'd spent my entire life in poverty and struggling and begging and wondering if I have another day to live... And then I hear this man say that the whole reason I have lived this life is so that God's work could be revealed in me. I'm not sure how I would think about that. I'm just one big object lesson for the world? Really? That's what he's saying. And what we've got to understand from this lesson 
is that being loved by God and being with him forever is better than seeing. Being loved by God and being with him forever is better than walking. Being loved by God and being with him forever is better than hearing. Now, for every blind man he healed, how many did he pass by that was never healed? For every lame man that he healed and they could walk, how many did he pass by that were not healed? Are you getting my point? So maybe we need to switch it around and put some different things in that blank. And you could put your own things in there, but how about being loved by God and being with him forever is, is, is better than having a career. Being loved by God and being with him forever is, is better than owning my dream home. Being loved by God and being with him forever is, is, is better than having wealth, security. Being loved by God and being with him forever is better than being successful or having fame or any of that stuff that you think that you want in life. Fill in the blank. Let's go on. See what happens. So... After Jesus answered and said, you know, this man didn't sin. It wasn't his parents, uh, but the works of God should be revealed. Jesus says something very profound, as, as he often does in the scripture. And again, he's using the blind man as an object lesson. He said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. So here's a man who's lived in darkness his entire life, who has not seen the light, and Jesus is using it as an illustration to say, now I've got to be about my father's work while I've got, right, while it is day, because soon is coming when it's going to be dark and nobody is going to be able to work. Now, when he says, I must, again, there's probably about four levels of, of meaning here. When he said, I must, right, I, I have to, the first level is, is the, the have to of a commandment, right? I, I've been told to, and so I must obey. And that's good. That's a good level to be on. But you can obey something in action, but not in your heart, Right? You can obey something unwillingly, uh, almost with a grudge about it. So I think God's wanting a little more than just obedience. So when Jesus said, I, I must, there's this level of imperative. He said, I want to. This is, this is a passion of mine, such a passion that I must do the works of my Father. Now, this is certainly part of John's theology. All through the book of John, you, you, you hear Jesus saying, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only speak what I hear the Father 
saying. Right? His entire life was in such harmony with the Father that, and I think it came from this passion, not just because of command, but this passion that I must do it. I love my Father so much. I must. But then there's another level. This, this level of urgency. I am going to. I've got resolve because time is short and there's coming a day when nobody's going to be able to work. It's going to be so dark. And so I've got to do this. There's a time limit on my mission. And there's another level. It's the purpose level. It's the level that if we can abide in the purpose, we can, we can deal with any kind of struggle, any kind of hardship, and any kind of pain. And it is, I have been created to do this. I have been made to do this. I must because it's my mission, it's my makeup, it's my why. So here's the secret. Joining God in his work, giving, the, giving God the glory overcomes any cause and any pain from that cause. I'm going to say that again. Joining God in his work, giving God the glory overcomes any cause and any pain from that work. Remember what Joseph says? The patriarch, right? His brother sells him into slavery, throws him in the pit, leaves him for dead. He's, uh, he's falsely accused, spends years in prison. When the whole story comes to fulfillment and his brothers are standing there, he has the perspective of eight, Romans 8.28 before it was ever written. He said, you meant it for my evil. But God meant it for my good. Now let's just finish up here. Um, I, I don't have this part of the verses on the slide, but um, <clears throat> in verse 6, he says, uh, it says, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground, made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Shalom, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. <laughs> now, when people hear my story, they often wonder, how did you right, get out of that mess? I became a Christian at, in the age of 17. Uh, and as I, I told you before, uh, just briefly, I was abused, I was neglected, abandoned. there was domestic violence, there was drug use, there was alcohol use. Um, I, I was literally born into the foster care system. My mom, uh, second oldest of 13 kids, um, was pregnant with me and uh, was in a, a car with uh, my maternal grandmother, her mother, and my grandmother's boyfriend, and there was heavy drinking, and there was an, uh, an act of violence which resulted in the murder of another person. And my mom was present there, and I was present in her womb, and my mom was taken into custody and put in an unwed mother's home, and it was there that I was born, born into the foster care system. And when my... Uh, 
my mom originally put me up for adoption. She was placed in a foster home in East Tennessee on a little farm. When the foster parents heard that I was up for adoption, they asked the state if they could foster to adopt me. And so a very unusual uh, decision was made, and I was placed in the same foster home with my mom. Uh, for some reason, I've never learned the adoption didn't take place. When my mom turned 18 uh, and aged out of the system, she made a fateful decision that I have regretted my entire life. She took me with her. And so it was just a series of chaos and dysfunction and violence and, and uh, just the raw realities of people uh, caught up in a culture of poverty and dysfunction and, and chaos. And so I was in and out of the foster care system. But I was also sometimes, even though my mom was the worst of moms, sometimes I had the best of moms because I was placed with a woman who loved me and cared for me as if she was my mother. And there were youth ministers and pastors and community people, uh, uh, teachers and football coach and others. Right? I've slept on couches of, of dozens and dozens of people to stay safe. And, and it was those acts of kindness and goodness that I gravitated to and saw that there was another way. And so I became a Christian at age 17. And, and when I went forward to the altar, this little Southern Baptist church in Newcomb, Tennessee, I knew immediately what my purpose was and my mission and my call. So I went and got a, a master's in social work and then a master's in divinity because I was going to rescue children and I was going to heal the adults who abuse children. That's what I have to do. Not because I'm being obedient to the call of God in my life, but deeper than that, because there's a passion and there's an urgency. Kids grow up quick. They don't have time for us to navel gaze and try to figure out how to fix it for them. They need help now. That goes deeper than that. And I look back at my life and all of the pain and the struggle and the mess. And I realized I was created to do this. And so all of that now makes sense. It has a purpose. Yeah, I could talk about the cause. I understand my mom lived in deep poverty and I can understand, you know, as a social worker, I can understand causes, but it means nothing. It's not helpful in the end. The only thing that's helpful is that there was a purpose, that God was weaving and tying through all that. He didn't call any of that good. None of what happened to me was good, but it's working out. Not just to my good, but to the good. That's the higher thing. Whether it ever works out for my good or not, if it works out to the good of someone else, then I am happy and pleased with that. But So you got to know your purpose, but you also got to know your mission. And uh, so we... I'm going to kind of borrow from other scriptures to talk about how do you find out your mission, right? Uh, I mentioned that I was, all right, I was saved in a Southern Baptist church. I went to a Southern Baptist college, went to a Southern Baptist seminary. So I self-identify as a Baptist. Do we have any closet Baptists in here? Anybody want to come out of the closet now and go ahead and self-identify? It's okay. Uh, you know, Baptists, there's like 160-something Baptists because we multiply by division, right? Um, I forgot to tell the story, Pastor, in the first 
When I turned 18 and I had to go to the post office to register for selective service, the guy at the post office said, you're Baptist, right? I thought, first of all, how do you know that? But I asked him, I said, yeah, but why does it matter? He said, I just want you to know, there's a war, they'll call you Baptists up first because everybody knows y'all make the best fighters. (laughs) So putting it into the context of Baptists, I can make fun of myself now, right? I I hope I'm not offending anybody. But uh, yeah, we got some Baptists in the room. I know we do. So there are either three or four uh, men who were healed of their blindness by Jesus. Some think uh, two of the gospel accounts are really talking about the same person. Somebody, others think, no, it's really four different. That part really doesn't matter. But in... But in every one of them, Jesus heals them differently than the others, right? So I've often thought, here's another way that Baptists could multiply by dividing is by fighting over which is the best way to heal blind people, right? If, if, if John 9 was your thing, you would be muddy Baptists because the best way to heal somebody is to spit in the, in the dirt and make some clay and lay it on their eyes because that's what Jesus did, right? And so, just, you know, we didn't, get the, we didn't call ourselves Baptists. We were called Baptists by our critics and by our enemies because we believed in this thing called immersion. Oh, you Baptists, right? So eventually, somebody's going to call us muddy Baptists as a way to mock us because we believe in that. But then there's going to be some other Baptists. They're going to go, mm-mm, mm-mm. We believe in Mark 9. The power's not in the mud, it's in the spit. Because one time Jesus didn't use the mud, he just spit in the guy's eye, remember? And so they would be spitting Baptists, right? Not really, not good for COVID-19, but, right? It's the spit is where the power is, not in the mud. You muddy Baptists got it wrong. The power is in the saliva. <laughs> and then there'd be the Baptists who say, no, Matthew 20, that's it. Remember in Matthew 20, he heals the man, not by mud, not by spit, by simply laying his hands on him, and he sees. And these, the critics would eventually call these Baptists the touchy Baptists, the touching Baptists, a kind of creepy little word for that, right? Because we say, no, it's right, just lay, lay your hand on them. But then there, as in all Christian divisions, there's the spiritual group who rises up and claims to be really spiritual. These would be the folks who center on Mark 10, where Jesus just spoke the word, be healed, and the man was healed. These would be called word of faith Baptists, right? You don't need mud, you don't need spit, you don't need touch, you just speak it into being. Now, am I getting close? to my offending any Baptists? Am I making any Baptists uncomfortable here today? The point is, it's not the how. The why. It's the mission that Jesus is on. And Jesus has a, not only a unique plan for your life, but Jesus has a unique healing regiment for your pain, your hardship, and your struggle. Written just for you. And you don't look to other people to say, how did he fix that person? Say, what's mine? How am I going to learn my purpose in this and be healed by knowing that. And I say to some of you, 
that your pain is going to be healed by going to a professional counselor. And some of you are going to be healed from your pain by going to a medical doctor and getting some medicine that's going to help your brain start, right, producing the right chemicals so that you can get ahead of this thing. And some of you are going to be healed because you're going to share with your faithful, uh, your, your community of faith, your struggles, and they're going to pray for you. And they're going to hold you accountable and maybe even hold your hand until you get through this thing. I don't know what it is or how it is. There's some, going to be something that's going to be common to other folks. That's going to be common with you. But there's also going to be part of your story because your story is so unique. Your healing is going to be unique from all of that. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and that you don't shy from hard things in the Bible. Help us all to know and abide in our purpose and in our mission. In Jesus' name, amen.